We've been in this series uh, following the, the gospel of John. And if you missed last week, you've got to jump online and, and check it out. Don, uh, one of our community life pastors, spoke and talked about love. And it was one of the best sermons um, I've ever heard. Uh, just such a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was Don who started that. But, um, uh, so <laughs> oh. Listen, um, Don, uh, just a powerful power. He, sh he shared a little bit uh, of, of some of his story, but, but also just this powerful picture of what Jesus wanted to leave with the disciples, and this, this new command to, to love one another. And, and ultimately, the idea that, um, that we are known as followers of Jesus, not by showing up on a Sunday morning and not by knowing the Bible and being able to answer the questions, but we're known... Uh, ultimately by our love, period. And that's why that series in May is so important to, to become people who, who simply love others with no strings attached. Um, so powerful message last week. John, throughout his whole gospel, and you could read it all in, in one day. You could really read his whole, his, his whole series of stories about Jesus and statements of Jesus into the final week of Jesus. Um, and, and here's what he wants us to know, that if you want to see God, you have to look at Jesus. Jesus is the visual image of the invisible God. So if you want to know who God is, you've just got to look at Jesus. And the Bible is where we find the stories of Jesus. So you've got to look in the Bible, read the stories of Jesus, and you get a picture of who God is. You can't find God outside of, of Jesus revealing God. Now, we get images, we get pictures in, our, in the world at some level, but, but Jesus is, is the personified picture of Jesus and, and, and uh, of God, the Father. And so if you, if you want to see God, you got to look at Jesus. And then we say this a lot around here. Um, coming to Easter, coming to the season of Easter, I, I know it becomes about so many different things. It's about spring. It's about flowers. It's about new life. It's about the excitement of, of, of spring and, and all that it offers. It's about Cadbury eggs and peeps. Um, it's, it's about the masters, a tradition like no other. I mean, it's about all of these. It's about all of these things. But if we miss Jesus, we miss everything. If we miss Jesus as we come into this season of Easter. We just miss it all. So don't miss Jesus. Uh, don't, don't miss what, what, what God is revealing to us through Jesus. Now, Don, last week, um, he, he reminded us that, that the book of John and the gospel of John, it's like story after story, rapid fire, boom, 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 through three years of Jesus' life. And it is quick, it's fast-paced, and it jumps from thing to thing. And sometimes we're wondering, is there anything holding this story together? And then all of a sudden, so three years go by so quickly. And all of a sudden, um, it's like John slams the brakes on. And everything goes slow motion. So just to back up and give us a, a picture of what's happening and where John is, is focusing. Um, in, in chapter 12... Uh, he, he reminds us of this little story called the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. It's what we, it's what we call Palm Sunday. That's today. It's, we kind of celebrate Palm Sunday. And I um, just want to paint a quick picture of what's going on on Palm Sunday. Jesus, now you know this story if you've been around the church. Jesus rides into the town of 
Jerusalem, yeah, yeah, he rides into Jerusalem and he rides in on a donkey. You're with me? It's like Sunday school all over again. This is awesome. And people are waving palm branches, which is where we get the name Palm Sunday. Yeah. So they're waving palm branches and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know this story, right? This is kind of the traditional Palm Sunday thing. And in some churches, uh, we've done it in the, in the past here. Um, kids come in waving the palm branches. And I think my first year in the desert, we did that. And we just cut palm branches like off, off of trees and didn't realize there's huge stickers on them. And so kids were like bleeding. And so we don't do that anymore because uh, they can hurt each other. And um, guy from Alabama doesn't know there's stickers on palm branches. There's stickers on everything. Anyway, so Jesus does. He rides into this. But sometimes we miss the cultural messages playing out in the story if we don't understand first century. Um, so I was talking to my son this, this morning, and I said to him, let's, let's talk about Palm, palm Sunday. And, and what did Jesus ride into Jerusalem on? Oh, a donkey. And I said, now, if you were a conquering king who wanted to show strength and power, what would you ride into town on? And he said, a Harley. And I was like, no, no, I mean, <laughs> not like first century, what would you ride into town on? And, and, and uh, he was like, like a horse, a stallion, something big and powerful. Exactly. So why do you think Jesus chose a donkey to ride into town? Well, well a donkey was a symbol of humility, Right? In, in, in contrast to this, this powerful animal or, or Harley, whatever um, it is. So Jesus chooses um, a symbol of humility and peace to ride into town. And I said, and, and, and they were waving what? And, and Calvin said, they were waving palm branches. And I said, why do you think they were waving palm branches? And he said, I'm not, I'm not sure, but it was probably like this picture of people cheering like they would be in a stadium and like in a soccer game. Uh, not in the U.S., but in a soccer game in a lot of places, maybe a, a basketball game if you were in the playoffs, but we don't know about that in Phoenix. Um, if, <laughs> if you were, if, if you were in, in San Francisco, Golden State game, they would be waving towels, the terrible towels in, uh, in Pittsburgh. Some of you know about that, right? They're waving the towels. It's like that. It's like this, woo, like party going on. And, and I said, you, you know, there's, there's more there. I, I think you're right, but there's more there. I, did you know that in... In, in the nation, the, the history of the nation of Israel, when they stamped coins, I mean, we're talking years before this took place, the coins were stamped with a palm branch. And so when, when they waved those palm branches, it was as if they were waving flags, reminding Jesus that they wanted Israel back in power. Now, this was... This was in tension with the Roman emperor, the Romans, the, the powerful Roman empire that had taken over the land. And so when they were waving these palm branches and they were yelling, Hosanna, they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna literally means save us. Well, save us from what? Save us from Rome. Save us from Rome. And so all of this is playing out in front of us. And sometimes we wonder, and I've even heard the question asked in church, like how could it be that people who were yelling and cheering for Jesus, how could they turn so quickly into people who were screaming, crucify him, kill him a week later? It's because they, 
Jesus didn't meet their expectations of what a king was. There was this tension in what they wanted and who Jesus actually was. I, I, um, I think there's this tension for us too, what we want Jesus to be, but what we find in Scripture. You know what I mean? Like we have these desires, and I know this is hard to admit, but we have these desires of what we want out of God, and yet when we don't get them, there's this tension. Like why don't I get what I want if I do everything God tells me to do? And this, this, was, the, this was the scene that plays out Holy Week, the very first Holy Week, when Jesus eventually gives his life up. Um, years ago, my, my father-in-law, Randy, uh, his mom uh, was, was dying, and uh, I was young in ministry, and I had never at that point been with someone who, who literally died while I was standing there with them. And Randy was with, uh, with his mom kind of in the end, and, and then when she passed away, he, he was there. And, and I was wondering, what's that like you know, when, when someone passes away? Like, what do you say? Like, what is the last thing you want them to hear before they die? And I remember Randy told me, and I've, I've had this in my mind ever since, that he said, I simply read John chapter 14 to my mom. I was a young pastor, and I was like, John 14. Is that in the Bible? In, um, John 14. And um, it's the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples, things he wanted them to hear before he was gone. It's, uh, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. You know, you say you trust in God. Trust, trust also in me. There is plenty of room in my father's house. Now this, this imagery that Jesus is painting, and sometimes we miss this too, when he says this, there's plenty of room in my father's house, this was a marriage picture that Jesus was painting. In the first century, uh, when, you, when you became engaged to, to, to a woman, you would, you would go back to your father's home and you would build on to your father's home, and then when it was ready, you would come back and get your wife to take her with you. So this image that Jesus is painting is this picture of he's going away to prepare this place, to his father's house, and he'll come back. And so he goes on and he says, if there wasn't enough room, would I have told you that I was going away to, to prepare a place for you? Well, 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 of course not. When everything is ready, then I will come and I will get you and I'll take you to be with me always. And... Randy, my father-in-law, said, I just, I just kept repeating this to my mom. Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There's plenty of room in my father's house. There's plenty of room in my father's house. Now, aren't those peaceful words? Jesus goes on in that that line of teaching, and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father but by me. Which seems a little, um, it seems a, a little bit like it's, it's exclusive, doesn't it? It doesn't, it doesn't set right with us at some level. Like, aren't there many ways to God? Well, there might be truth in a lot of different places, but what Jesus is saying is, no, you, got, you have to understand that, that, 
that God sent me to give everyone, everyone, no one excluded, there's no exclusivity here. Jesus came to give everyone a picture, an image, and a connection to God. And that's why Jesus said that. He said, there's no one else. There's no one else. Uh, the Buddha, uh, there's not much uh, in, in regards to his personality that matters when it comes to, to that religion. It's more about his teachings, right? Muhammad, Muhammad said, it's not, it's not about me, it's, it's the teachings. Jesus is the only one when it comes to, to, to faith that he says, no, no, I, when you see me, you see God. I'm the visible image of an invisible God. When you, you can trust me because you trust God. Like, he is the way. Now, he's the truth. He's the life. And Jesus reminds his disciples of this. Uh, he, he, he goes on and um, he keeps telling them these, these, these pictures of peace. Uh, I am leaving you with a gift, a peace of mind and heart. John 14, near the end, the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled, don't be afraid. He comes back to it again. Uh, he says, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have trials and sorrows, but take heart for I have overcome the world. I mean, Jesus comes back to this theme again and again and again. He wants us to have peace. Now, quick question. Do we today in our world have peace? <laughs> it's uh, like yes and no, right? It's like, oh, I don't know what to answer right now. It's like Sunday school. Um, we just want to say Jesus. I don't know the answer, so Jesus must be the answer. No. Do, do we have peace in the world today? Well, that's an interesting question. We have a lot of tension in the world. Um. I, my guess is if I said to you um, right now, hey, um, I want to talk about guns for a few minutes, <laughs> you would wake up, like, and there would be some tension in the room, wouldn't there, right? Um, our world is in an interesting moment, is it not? And so when Jesus, like, says, I, I want to give you peace, <laughs> we, we need peace in our world. And uh, Jesus reminds us that we will not find it outside of him. Like this world cannot give you the kind of peace I can give you. And I think sometimes we have some difficulty with understanding what peace is. Uh, you know, as, as I've grown, you know, I've, I've often thought that peace is simply uh, staying out of conflict or staying out of war. If we could just stay out of war, can't we all just get along? That's peace, right? That's, that's all that peace entails, but peace is so much bigger. Now, um, because I love Sunday school, I have a Sunday school video for you. Is that okay? Yep. Will, will you go with me on the Sunday school video just for a couple minutes? Because I think it gives us a great representation of what peace actually is and, and, and helps move us into a deeper understanding of peace. And let's, let's, let's just be honest. At times, we need to go back to Sunday school as adults, don't we? So we're going to go to Sunday school for a couple of minutes and, um, and, and get a, a picture, a different kind of picture of what peace is. Here you go. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. 
And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others. Like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. Don't you love Sunday school? I love Sunday school. We should do that more often. Uh, the Bible Project, uh, who put that together, um, that's one of our ministry partners that we support to create that kind of, uh, that kind of video. The, the, the picture there um, is that peace isn't just the absence of conflict, but it's the working towards wholeness. How do you have conversations 
with people who believe things very different than what you believe. How do you have conversations about politics with people who have political views very different than you have? How do you have conversations about guns with people who have very different views of guns than you do? So Jesus talks about this idea of peace and what he wants to give us, which doesn't mean we don't talk, we, we don't refuse to talk about difficult things, but rather we work to engage conversations in different kinds of ways so that we might restore wholeness in this world. Does that make sense? A little confusing, but does that make sense? So if I would have been a disciple, I would have asked the question, how do we do that? And Jesus gives them the answer. I will ask the Father, and he will give you an advocate, a comforter, a counselor, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. Now, I know we don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit because it seems a little weird and strange, and we don't really know how to get our arms around it, but this is the answer to how we have peace in the world. And it's something that in those last days, if you read through the Scripture, uh, these, these, these last few chapters of, of John, you will find the Holy Spirit mentioned again and again and again. And it's for us. Because the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and truth and conviction that we cannot find outside of God. Um, Holy Spirit, a couple of words, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, ruach is the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that means the same as in the New Testament, pneuma. And these words uh, refer to a few different things happening in Scripture. It begins at the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, the earth is formless, it's void, and the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, is hovering above and enters into creation. When God creates Adam and Eve, and it says that God leans over and breathes his breath into them, the word that it uses is the ruach of God, the breath of God, which means every human being that has breath has access to the spirit of God within them. What can I do in this world to bring peace? Well, you can do exactly what God has done to bring peace through Christ because you have the breath of God in you. Does that make sense? Oh, but that's tough to understand. It's like, do I really have, okay, do this with me. Take a deep breath in. It's like you're in the doctor's office. Now breathe out. You have the breath of God. The ruach, the pneuma living in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the spirit that lives in you. And Jesus did not want his, to, to leave his disciples without knowing that they had something in them much more powerful than the strength that was in the world. And the same is true for you and me. We have something within us that is so much more powerful than, is, than what is in the world. And this is what the Holy Spirit does in us. Uh, it is the, God's personal presence and power within us. This is the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Spirit is the comforter, 
The convictor, which isn't actually a word. I made that up. You can't find that in the dictionary, the convictor. But the Bible says that's what he does is he convicts us. So he's the convictor. And he's also the counselor within us. Now, which piece of that do you need today in your life? Um, Do you need comfort with the situation, the circumstances of your present life? Do you need comfort in your life? God's spirit is there for that. Do you need conviction in your life? Now, nobody says yes to that question, but, but do you need conviction in your life? The Holy Spirit is there for that to bring peace through his conviction. Do, do you need a counselor in your life? Do you need to know what to do next because you don't know where to go? The Holy Spirit is there for that. The, the power that is in you, the breath that is in you, is the same breath that raised Christ from the dead. And that is good news, my friends. Is it not? Yes, you have the Spirit of God in you. Um, here's the most difficult part about it, and then we'll sing a song and uh, respond to God. Here's the most difficult part about it. Each one of us has complete access to the Holy Spirit today, here and now. The big question is, does the Holy Spirit have access to us? And I've found in my life again and again and again, You know, I've turned to God and, God, where are you? I need you here and now. And more often than not, it's not that God was absent, but that I was refusing to give him. I was refusing to give him access to the different corners of my life. I I wanted to, to keep God in a certain spot in my life that was safe, and secure. What about you? Does does God's spirit have complete access to you? Like if he were to enter into your house today, would he have access to every room? Uh, When we have friends over to our house, we close certain doors. You know, you have no access to, to, to the master bedroom. You, you don't need to get into the master bedroom. It's, it's, it's not there, partly because it's a mess, and my clothes are all over the place. And we had some water stuff happen, and we haven't finished the trim on the bottom of the wall yet, and so it's just kind of messy. And, and I don't want you to see that in my house. I don't want you to see. And the same is true about God. I don't want him to see the messed up parts of me that I haven't had time to fix yet. Aren't you like that? When I have friends over and, you know, they need to use the facilities, which I pray that they don't. I'm like, don't go to the boys' restroom because it smells like boys. (laughs) And it's a mess. And I don't want you to see what might be in there. There's animals. There's... And the same is true within my my heart and my mind. God, don't go in there. It's a mess. It stinks. There are things in there I'm I'm not proud of. In fact, I'm ashamed and I'm trying to hide them from you. And, And the Holy Spirit 
when given complete access, does not bring shame. He brings freedom and, what's that word? He brings peace, shalom, wholeness to the messed up parts of our lives. So I'd encourage you this morning, give the Spirit access to every corner of your life. The things that you're, un, the, the things that, that, that you're ashamed of, the things that you let no one else in on, the hidden private parts. Only you can give him access. I, I can't do that for you. Your spouse can't do that. Your parents can't do that. Only you can give him access. Give him access. Let him in every corner, every room, and see if he doesn't bring some peace and wholeness. Let's, let's stand together and as we sing, um, as we do every week, you've got freedom to move and respond. There's a cross here if you want to come and write some notes and put it up on the cross, just as your way of giving that over to God, you're welcome to do that. There's candles in the back of the room. Light represents God's presence, and if you want to light a candle representing your desire to give the Spirit access to you, light a candle this morning. In the back corner of the room um, is a prayer team who just wants to to pray for you and over you. Um, so if you need prayer today, just, just go back there. Just tell them your name and they'll pray for you. And then there's communion set up around the room. If you want to be reminded of God's love for you through the sacrifice of Jesus, you can, you can do that. God, um, in these moments, we respond uh, to your spirit, your presence. And we pray that um, in, the, in the corners of our lives, that... Um, the closets of our lives, the, the areas of our lives that we don't, we don't tend to allow you in. I, I pray that we would give your spirit access today and that you would bring peace and wholeness in Jesus' name.